Welcome to the Medical Affairs Professional Society Field Medical Focus Area Working Group's podcast series entitled Field Medical External Stakeholders, Partnering for Today and Tomorrow. In this third podcast, we will discuss interacting with academic drug developers. I'm Catherine Gann. I'm a member of the Field Medical Focus Area Working Group, and I'll be the moderator for this podcast. Currently, I'm an independent consultant in medical affairs, having spent my 30-year career as an MSL, an MSL manager, and an MSL trainer. Our legal disclaimer is as follows. The views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect on the opinions of MAPS or the companies with which they are affiliated. This presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or regulatory advice. We encourage you to engage in conversations about field medical with other MAPS members via MAPS Connect on the MAPS website or mobile app. Simply log in with the email address and password associated with your MAPS account and access the global community. Then click on the Discuss tab and scroll down the field medical subject area to post a question or review previous postings. The objectives for this series of podcasts are that at the end of this series, the participant will be able to, one, discuss the functions and activities of key external stakeholders, and two, identify potential areas for compliant collaboration by MSLs with key external stakeholders. I'd like to thank today's panelists for sharing their subject matter expertise with the MAPS membership. Speaking today are Robert Grobel, Vice President, Global Medical Strategy at Monocle. Robert is also a member of the Field Medical Focus Area Working Group, and Robert will be our interviewer. And Jeff Patrick, Senior Director of the Drug Development Institute at the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. Jeff will be our interviewee. Robert, let me turn this over to you, and if you could kick it off by telling us a little bit about yourself, please. Thanks, Catherine. Um, yeah, broadly, I've had, had about 30 years of healthcare experience uh, in the life sciences in both commercial and medical roles, but most recently in my career, I've been working on the software side of the industry, um, focused specifically on medical affairs and helping our clients develop um, digital strategies, analytic strategies to ensure that they're engaging effectively with the right stakeholders and really developing insights that will help them generate science into the future. Um, Jeff, how about an intro introduction from yourself? Thank you for the opportunity to, to speak with you both, uh, Robert and Kathy. Hi, I'm Jeff Patrick. Uh, I'm a PharmD by training, residency trained, uh, spent a couple of years in academic medicine, and then moved into the pharmaceutical industry where I initially was an MSL, then became an MSL manager, worked up through the, the ranks uh, at companies that ranged from startup to global organizations, uh, holding positions of global vice president and, and ultimately chief scientific officer. In my current role, I have an opportunity as the director of a embedded biotech-like entity called the Drug Development Institute uh, that's part of the Ohio State University's Comprehensive Cancer Center. And the mission there is to help advance um, preclinical cancer treatment assets through the preclinical pipeline to enable them for actual full clinical development and ultimately commercial partnership. In addition, I'm actually the chief scientific officer of a startup pharmaceutical firm as well, where we're in the preclinical stages with some assets that we hope to bring to market as well. Pleasure to meet everyone. Oh, that, 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 that's, that's fascinating, Jeff. So when, when you think about the work that, that your department and your function is doing at Ohio State, 
Um, clearly, you're partnering with industry, but who specifically or what functions within industry do you normally interact with? Great question. We typically interact initially with business development teams, or if it's a if it's a firm structured with search and evaluation, those are the types of uh, initial uh, reactions we or interactions we might have. Admittedly, however, uh, recently we've had interactions with numerous MSLs from industry who uh, have regional areas of coverage, as most MSLs or all MSLs do. And we encounter them through their, uh, you know, in working with the KOLs that we interface with on our preclinical research and, and ultimately, as I mentioned, moving our assets through a pipeline toward clinical development. So we share, if you will, uh, KOLs in some regard because my preclinical team ultimately relies on our KOLs and as many or all uh, MSLs do. So recognizing that this is, this is very early stage work, you know, what are, what are the real goals of the interactions, whether it's your interactions with BD or with, with the field medical teams that are, that are coming out to Ohio to see you? Great question. And, and the important part, I think, that the audience should understand is that uh, large academic research organizations really have a gigantic wealth of basic researchers. And these are the folks that are identifying novel targets, really regardless of therapeutic area, whether it's oncology in our case or um, cardiovascular medicine, endocrinology, diabetes, metabolism, whatever it may be, autoimmune diseases, we're on sort of the front edge. And so you have this vast number of researchers all sort of collaborating at the university setting. And so the opportunity really is for the business development team members or search and evaluation or even MSLs to understand the scope and breadth of those early stage targets. Because frankly, in my mind, the, the, the benefit to the pharma company is that they can take advantage of all of that basic research as it continues to advance and be de-risked. So just a just a, a curious question from, from my end of things, Jeff, and recognizing just the sheer volume of companies that are currently currently have an oncology focus and, you know, the thousand plus um, compounds that are either in development or in review today. How do you how does Ohio State stay current with what all of the industry is doing to know that your science could be relevant to the pipeline of a company that could support the clinical development of a drug? So having built on my nearly 20 years in the industry, um, I actually have grown our team internally and, and we're fortunate to have the funding to do this, but we actually have a, a dedicated business development person who is a PhD wow. cancer biologist, as well as uh, having spent time in patent work uh, and patent um, uh, with a patent firm. So we, we actually evaluate as a pharma company would every aspect of an asset, not just the uh, development uh, of the experimental structure and, and the research operating plans to move those assets to great clinical stages. We also have a relationship with the College of Business, uh, within whom we also have a PhD with a cancer biology background, or rather cancer immunology, I should say, who helps us do landscape and competitive intelligence analyses. So we evaluate not only the uh, preclinical scientific rigor and experimental design, of our portfolio. We also evaluate the landscape around us uh, for like or similar compounds. And we're agnostic, whether it's small molecule, large molecule, or even cellular therapies. And then we try to do to the, the ability that we have to bring those comparative assets into our experimental design and do head-to-head -head analyses to understand how we are differentiated. So we do a lot of work that covers all of the aspects from IP extension or expansion 
uh, or new filings uh, all the way through head-to-head uh, -head analyses. So we do a lot with uh, a lot of folks that really help us. It takes a gigantic team to do drug development. And so that's the type of work that we do to ensure that our portfolio is understandable by small and mid or even large sized pharma companies or even venture capital firms seeking to raise funding to, uh, you know, advance a, a clinical asset. It's fascinating. It's, it's amazing how complex uh, drug development has become over the, the last last several decades. And, and I guess that leads me to my next question in recognizing your experience, you know, in the field and then leading field teams. Have you seen a you know a fundamental shift in the in the, the the role or the the profile of the MSL now that you're on the outside of the industry looking in? I would say that I've seen more of the involvement of the field-based medical teams like the MSLs in activities like search and evaluation. The, you know the MSLs really represent the medical affairs team, and and they're sort of the sharp end of the spear out there interfacing with these academic and scientific researchers who are, or are really involved in the earliest stages all the way through, you know, the phase three and four clinical trial programs. So the MSLs have the opportunities to advance activities, as I've seen again over the past couple of decades in health economics uh, analyses and discussions, but also this sort of early understanding of what's going on preclinically in the areas, uh, in the centers where they cover uh, within the region. So I've seen a bit more, I would say, of a migration of the MSLs to being a part of those search and evaluation efforts and really creating collaborative opportunities. An example recently, and I, <clears throat> I won't divulge the company, but it was an opportunity to participate in a, a molecular screening program. The, the company has a large a molecule library and they offered to um, you know, and work with our Drug Development Institute for screening against that compound library. So those are the types of opportunities and that was entirely shepherded by an MSL. So there are opportunities where MSLs can get in to discussions and create collaborations very early in the preclinical area. That's interesting. And, and, and thinking about all of this experience, both your, your inside of pharma and outside of pharma experience, are there, are there behaviors, are there characteristics that you would say differentiate um, an average MSL from a great MSL or a good MSL? I think that the importance of an MSL is their credibility relative to how they present the information. Admittedly, they are working for a company and they are strongly aware of that company's individual portfolio, but it's important that they understand the context of the information they're providing because ultimately our clinicians uh, on the academic research side are going to have relationships with all of the competitors. So it's really important as to how those MSLs uh, contextualize the information that they have to present relative to their assets in development and in a comparative fashion to the other assets from, uh, from other potentially competitive companies. So I think credibility is, is vital and that's achieved and maintained through uh, appropriate contextualization of, of the information they provide, as, as well as obviously the extent and, and amount of knowledge that they have. I mean, if, if it's an early, if it's a recent hire, let's say MSL, they may or may not be uh, have dug into the full uh, data package for a given asset. So, you know, the, the more advanced the MSL gets with their knowledge, the more that's going to continue to grow and uh, how they're able to present it. So I think there's a lot of as aspects around uh, ensuring that the information they're providing is, is whole and, and complete and accurate. Mm, interesting. You know, there's been such a there's been such a concern, um, I think, across the industry 
as we're we're kind of making our way out of out of this COVID situation. Um, but they, there's still probably going to be a reliance on remote technology to you know engage in scientific discourse. And and so many MSLs and MSL functional leaders that I've spoken to are concerned about how to how to best establish a relationship within a within a a molecule or within an indication where you may not have any experience. Do you have any best practices you might be able to share around, you know, developing credible relationships with new, with new experts or new scientists? Certainly that's a challenge. And I would say it's a challenge on, on really both ends um, because at the academic research or clinical research side of the business, they're facing the same thing. Um, everyone was impacted by COVID and, and frankly, many, many centers continue to be impacted by it. So it's, however, I think that the benefit to it from the, from the pharma side, from the MSL side of the equation is that the clinicians and academic researchers have all adapted. Our team has been working remotely for over a year and a half uh, as many teams uh, that are not in direct patient care have been working remotely. So I think the entire landscape has changed as far as how clinicians and scientists and, and industry folks utilize this uh, remote working uh, technologies. And frankly, the bandwidth has enabled um, these conversations to go uh, very effectively, very efficiently, very smoothly with minimal disruptions and, and, and enabled the ability to convey information remotely. So I think the whole world has taken a step forward in, in how to do that type of communication. And while I can't say that there's a specific best practice as far as initiating the conversation, again, I think it boils down to understanding your, your KOLs and what their areas of research interest are, and then approaching them with that in mind as you present your information. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that last sentence so much. I mean, I think it's absolutely mission critical for the MSL to seek to understand the needs of the expert and make sure that they deliver on those expectations so that you can drive a, a really mutually beneficial relationship. So I, I appreciate that very much. And, and recognizing that, you know, you started your career as an MSL and now you're doing something incredibly innovative and novel. Um, were, there any, were there any points on, on your career path that you could point to that you, you think may have led you to where you are today? Well, I, I would say that I've had exceptional mentors along the way with tremendous amounts of experience, both as colleagues and as managers. And um, I also would say that that I was encouraged at times in my career where maybe I, I didn't have the full breadth of experience that I would, would feel comfortable with taking on a new role. For instance, when I was the uh, global vice president, I had additional responsibilities added to my uh, requirements and, and that sort of forced me out of my comfort zone to take on and understand new roles such as pharmacovigilance or uh, medical information or other areas beyond just being an MSL. So while we had interfaced with those teams in, in my field-based operations, just the ability to uh, take on new challenges. And again, I, I can say that I had um, directors and, and vice presidents and, and mentors along the way that encouraged me to take on those additional responsibilities, but then doing the work uh, to gain the understanding around them and, and to really to try and be productive and make sure that the teams are being productive along the way. So I, I can't say that there's a particular area or, or uh, instance where it really prompted me to change, but I would just say the whole dynamic of being able to and being willing to accept new responsibilities and then learn and grow into those roles. That's terrific. Thanks very much. I really appreciate that answer also. So um, with that, um, Kathy, I'll turn it back over to you. 
Thank you, Robert, and thank you, Jeff. Uh, this was a very interesting conversation. I never realized how a drug development institute like Jeff has at an academic center really operates much like a business development group within a pharma company, keeping an eye on the landscape, uh, looking what's going on. So that was educational for me. I think the take homes for our MSLs, a couple of things, is to know your KOLs. We've talked about this before, but Jeff made a really good point about the KOLs that his institute is working with are the same KOLs that the MSL is calling on. And so knowing your KOLs research interests, knowing the scope of what your company is looking at and being able to partner to put the two together is very impactful. And it certainly relies on all those things that we talk about that makes a successful MSL careful listening, and credibility. And finally, uh, Jeff gave us a great example about how being an MSL and having those foundational skills can help you move on to other careers, whether that's in industry or in this case, uh, at an academic center. So I really appreciate how far ranging this conversation was. And it really, I think, met our learning objectives of having a better understanding and the role of the role and function of an academic drug development institute and how MSLs may compliantly interact with that entity. So this has been the third podcast in a series on the topic of field medical external stakeholders partnering for today and tomorrow. If you're a MAPS member, thank you for your support of MAPS. If you're not yet a MAPS member and would like access to additional resources in this area, please visit the MAPS website to explore joining and that is medicalaffairs.org forward slash membership. This concludes the podcast.